Check-your-references kind of deal. We are two sisters from the Ozarks, sipping and spewing about Hanks, Hooch, and history. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Ozarks, Hanks, and Hooch. This is Dina, and I'm with... Dawn. Yep, and we are in Mom's basement, just like those... <laughs> just like the other neck beers. <laughs> We're in the basement drinking and looking at a computer screen. That's right. Uh, <laughs> we've had a week. Dina's had a worse week than me, but I've had a two-day week, too. And so. Ah, uh, it, it has been. It's been a long one, that's for sure. Okay. But we're glad to be here. Yes. We're going to tell you all the, the things we need to tell you. Get the housekeeping out of the way. Um, we are on uh, Facebook and Instagram. You can find us on both of those platforms. Um, we have a Patreon and, you know, we're going to hit you up for money. It's just the way it is in the world today. But, um, if you want us to keep doing what we're doing and to add to it, um, we need, we need financial help. Um, we really do enjoy doing this, but with both of us having other jobs, this and family and all of that good thing stuff, um, we need help. Yeah. So that's all I'm going to say about that, but there it is. But thank you to our other patrons. That's right. That's right. Um, I don't think we really have any te- disclaimers today because uh, we're here together. I don't, haven't even seen Elvis. Elvis no has crashed said. on the bed. He's been there for hours. All right. So. so that's it. Unless, I don't know, mom comes downstairs or something, we should be fine. Mm-hmm. When you're listening to us, and if you like us, which of course you will like us, subscribe and give us all the stars that you can. Because who wouldn't, seriously, except some of the people we work with. (laughs) Oh, oops! (laughs) Maybe maybe them. Uh, So we release on the 1st and the 15th anyway. That's what we try to do. Uh And we have a um, a website, which is ozarkshaintsinhooch.weebly.com. Yeah, and I have Don has the story, which is why I'm talking. So I'm going to tell you about the drink, um, and uh, I will tell you why um, I'm doing this drink. I know we usually wait and have her announce it, but it's fine. It's fine. So I'm doing a gin ricky, and that is because uh, Don is talking about Thomas Hart Benton, which he was a famous artist that was born in Missouri Mm -hmm. and he has, Oh, now that I say that he has a painting that is, wait, let me get to it. Hold on a moment. Elvis Elvis came to join. You may hear him. Um, it is called, I sent it to Dawn just a moment. I'm looking back through. Okay. This might be an edit point. Okay. It is called, Oh, it doesn't say it. Um, anyway, I'm so sorry. It's a painting of a cocktail party. And when I looked at it, I was like, okay, these are 1930s, 1940s um, people at a cocktail party. What would they be drinking? And so I did some research and they would be drinking a gin ricky is what they would be drinking. Okay. So that's why I chose that because it was very popular in the 30s and the 40s. Also, Dawn and I were talking. It's a gin drink. And because they had bathtub gin, we think that's why there's so much lime juice in it to make the bathtub gin not taste like bathtub gin yeah 
So this makes two servings, which I did not read that. So I made four servings. So this will be real fun for you guys. <laughs> if we, if we. like it, when there's a bunch of dead air after the episode's over, it's because we passed out. We might have. So you take three, there's three ounces of gin, one ounce of fresh lime juice, um, and six to eight ounces of club solder. Solder? I haven't really even had much drink. Club soda or seltzer. I was trying to say soda and seltzer at the same time. And then you um, garnish with some lime wedges. So to make this, you feel, fill a cocktail shaker or a plastic cup with another plastic cup on top of it, which is what we did, um, with ice. And you add the gin and the lime juice, and you shake about 5 to 10 seconds, strain it into a tall glass filled with ice cubes, and you top it with the club soda and uh, then garnish with the lime wedge. And I like it. I mean, Which I'm shocked that she likes it because it's not sweet. It's, it's not tart. Sweet. And I don't even like gin and I like it because I love lime. So maybe that's yeah, the deal. It's refreshing. I mean, yeah. I, I wonder if you made it with like um, a flavored water if I would like it better. Like maybe a... Like one of those lemon lime, oh, or something like that. Or if you made it with a like a botanical gin, mm. that would be really good. I mean, this, but this is, is a fine. Bo- this is a botanical. Gin. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe that's why I like it. Yeah. yeah. I um I don't like. I think the reason I've never liked gin is because I don't like tonic, and that's what people yeah. usually have it with. And but if you get tonic syrup, it's so much better. Anyway, oh, this is this was good. Yeah, and that's fine. all I have. So I'm a little very done. refreshing. Refreshing. Yes. Okay, so this isn't going to be scary at all, but I felt like we needed to do him, and there will be some other notable Missourians. Uh, By the way, if you hear, this is my chair. Yeah, and this is mine. Yeah, so sorry. Um, I know that there are people out there who are professional audio people, and that bothers them too bad, man. Come work for us for free. Yeah, that's right. Um, So anyway, there's other notable Missourians that I think it's really worth talking about, and Thomas Hart Benton is one of them. Um, I'll tell you that Mom has a booklet from one of his shows that she went to that has his signature on it that I'll put a picture uh, but I'm going to be reading a lot from that booklet because it's written in first person mm-hmm. in his voice. And so um, so I want to tell a story first. So there's a guy in my town in South Carolina who's an artist and he's a muralist and his family's from there and he went to New York and he came back and he's also a musician. So I kind of got to know him. And he does some really incredible work. And I was looking at one of his paintings one time, and, and his name is uh, Robert Gary. Everybody calls him Bobby. And I said, Bobby, you know what? Your work reminds me of Thomas Hart Benton. And he goes, that's funny. You should say that because I went to the same school in New York. Wow. And so it's, you know how Thomas, if you don't know, I'm going to talk about this, but how Thomas Hart Benton's figures are so curvy and fluid and, and all of his paintings look like motion. That's kind of what Bobby Gary's work does um, look like, too. So, Thomas Hart Benton was born into political aristocracy, and though he lived a life of privilege, Benton was most comfortable finding himself within the working class communities of rural America, and that's really um, depicted in his paintings. Um, He has been known as the preeminent American regional... 
regionalism artist. Have another drink. Yeah. <laughs> who creates iconic works of art representing rural America and the communities found in the Midwest primarily. Um, Benton spent much of his childhood following his father to political rallies. Um, I'm going to read from the book. So he, he, and he was, did I say he was born in Neosho, Missouri. So this is in his voice. Neosho was an isolated town in the middle of the 1890s. When I first began to take notice of things, it was far off from the lines of continental travel and had an old fashioned flavor. It's people took their time. Old soldiers of the Civil War sat around in the shade of store awnings or lounged about the livery stables, which were, in the horse and buggy civilization of the time, important centers of reminiscence and debate. The town was addicted to celebrations. Confederate and Union gatherings occurred every year, and the square would be full of veterans with imprecise triangles of old men's tobacco spit straining their white or grizzled beards. So the imagery he writes with is like the imagery that he paints, right? Do you hear Elvis? <laughs> Wait. Elvis purse like this with his mouth open. <sighs> so I'm sorry, you may hear some of that in the background because he's on Dina's lap right now. Um, and he just goes on to talk about there's reunions of old settlers, um, watermelon gen generally concluded the community meal at all these doings the Neosho Town Band played. Um, yeah, and so so I thought that was interesting, his picture of Neosho, Missouri in the 1890s. So as I said, Benton spent much of his childhood following his father to political rallies, which provided a unique lens of rural Missouri. Instead of these um, travels leading him towards a political career, he was also sent to the Western Military Academy. I should have looked that up. I wonder if that's the one near Cotty. What was that called? The Military Academy up there? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, Benton rebelled against the notion of politics and aristocratic living, dropping out and using his mother's support to become a cartoonist for the Joplin American newspaper of Joplin, Missouri. I wanted to read um, what he says about his father because, you know, your parents shape you. Colonel M.E. Benton, my dad, had come out to southwest Missouri from Tennessee shortly after the Civil War knocking the snakes, according to his own story, out of his horse's path with a long stick. Dad, who was not really a colonel, but who, as he grew portly and substantial, was called so, after the southern fashion of the day, had stopped long enough in St. Louis after the war to get admitted to the Missouri bar, so he was a lawyer. He hung his shingle out of a Neosho window, and as he was full of rollicking stories and possessed of a full measure of political ability, became not only uh, rapidly successful as a lawyer, but also a prominent factor in the democratic councils of the neighborhood. When he was a successful man past 40, he built a big house on top of a hill, married a young woman from Texas, and had four children. I was the first of these. My dad was a slice of the block. He was a great eater, drinker, and talker. He was stubborn, and there was nothing on earth that could hurry him. He was at times a secretly, secretive man, inwardly turned, and although he had a great belly laugh, was not always quite happy. 
He was addicted to odd and inexplicable ways of self-communication. He frequently talked vigorously to himself. Okay, me too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the older I get, the more I do that. And time and again, he settled himself in the privy in our woodlot, which he preferred in warm weather to the toilet in the house. There he sat, adding, subtracting, dividing tremendous figures. This would go on while a client would be waiting in his office on the square, or even while his presence was awaited at court. Messengers came, and my mother would send one of the black men who were always about our house, Jim, Barry, or Uncle Caesar, to try to dislodge him. But no matter how urgent the case, he would not budge till his figuring was done. And he goes on to talk about how he campaigned over um all throughout missouri and um yeah so that was his dad so eventually looking for some direction and to advance his art career benton enrolled in the school of the art institute of chicago so if any of you are ever in chicago you need to go there because it's amazing where he spent two years continuing to push the boundaries of what his teachers expected of him Hold on, I've got notes, and then I have to turn the pages. Okay. Uh, oh, he said, where, oh, dang it, where is it? Uh, he bummed around for a little bit, like literally riding a train. With a companion, I hooked a southbound freight one night and experimented with bumming. We sat in an open boxcar. We watched the moon fade and the dawn come as the train took us over the Arkansas border. In the chill of early morning, a tough brakeman discovered us and kicked us off in the middle of the woods. We walked back to the nearest town, hung around in a creek bed all day, and grabbed a freight back home in the evening. But the itch to be on the go was strong with me, and I grew more restless every month. Um... One Saturday night, went into town and into the House of Lords, Joplin's main saloon. I'd kept out of there because I knew it was the gathering place, not only for miners and entertaining roughnecks, but for the substantial businessmen of the whole region, and I didn't want to risk meeting anyone who would know me and make me come out to some family dinner where I'd get treated as a boy and where my consequence would depend wholly on the fact that I was Colonel M.E.'s son. But the House of Lords had a big name for glittering swank, and I had to see it. Oh, and then he, this is kind of paints a picture of, you know, not only riding the freight train, which trains are prominent in his, in rural America, in his art, but just also small towns. Because even though Joplin was the city of the time, it still wasn't New York. So, um... I went in and ordered a beer. Across from the bar hung a big painting. This was a famous painting in the locality. It depicted a naked girl with a mask on her face. She was lying across a sort of bed and appeared to be dying from a knife wound. In the background was a young man in fancy costume. He was about to stab himself. I believe that the story, which hung in gold letters besides the picture, told that the girl was his sister with whom, after a night at a masked ball, he had engaged in amorous play, ignorant of the relationship that existed between them. In any case, it was someone he shouldn't have been playing with in the nude, so he'd stuck his knife into her and was ready to go to work on himself. I must have gotten sufficiently absorbed in this masterpiece to attract attention because I became aware of some laughing down the bar and I turned around to meet a line of grinning fellows and a barrage of kidding. 
These fellows saw how young I was and probably sensed how hard I was laboring to be a man, and they laid into me with all the obscenities bearing on the picture they could think of. He goes on to say he was embarrassed um, because they believed he was interested in the naked girl, but that I was studying the picture because I was an artist and I wanted to see how it was done. Um, so one of them said, so you're an artist, Shorty? And he said, yes, by God, I am, and I'm a good one. So, um, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say from now on. <laughs> yes, word? by God, I am, and I'm a good one. And I freaking know <laughs> how to time a line. Okay, sorry. Oh, my God. Okay, um, what did I say? Uh, he worked with his teachers to convince his mother to support a move to Paris, where he believed that he would receive the training and artistic environment he required and deserved. So he ended up at the Académie Julien. I hope that's right. In 1908, Benton worked to advance his artistic skilled, skills and brushed shoulders with other North American artists, including Diego Rivera and Stanton MacDonald Wright. He stayed in Paris until his mother visited and discovered he was keeping a mistress. <laughs> Mom put the big kibosh on that. <laughs> Benton immediately returned to the United States, spending a very short time back in Missouri before convincing his father to allow him to go to New York City. So in 1912, Benton continued painting once in New York. He found himself brushing shoulders with the who's who of the New York art scene. As a teacher at the Art Students League of New York, Benton mentored many who would go on to have a career in the arts themselves, including Jackson Pollock, if you know that. Following the war, he married Rita Piacenza in 1922, though that family was not supportive of Benton because they were convinced that an artist would never be able to financially support a family. The couple persevered and remained married for 53 years with two children, which is amazing because most artists are crazy and they, you know, I was thinking of Jackson Pollock. He was a crazy person. Uh, Thomas Piacenza Benton, who lived till 2010, and Jesse Benton, who evidently is still alive, uh, were his two children. In 1929, thanks to his wife, Tom got his first big commission. Rita talked about the president of the new school in Greenwich Village, mm -hmm. Greenwich Village, New York, into letting Tom paint nine mural panels entitled America Today for a boardroom at the school. Tom and Rita regularly enjoyed summers on Martha's Vineyard. Just a few months after Tom's death, Rita passed away in 1975. Tom, uh, Thomas Hart Benton passed away in 74. Okay. Whoa. Benton found himself at odds with the New York City art scene's fascination with modernism, doubling down on regionalism and establishing himself as one of the three most important American regionalist artists, along with John Stuart Curry and Grant Wood. So, okay, in New York at the time, um, the art movements, if you went up to learn what the most recent thing was, but you were painting in a different style, man, you were run out of town because you weren't hip. Yeah. You were, and so that's what they're talking about there. I mean, it would be like, 
going to New York as a director and saying, I want to do Our Town or something, people would go, okay, okay. are you going to do it naked? Because if you're doing, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's, I, I'm sure you learn a lot, but you also are um, pretty mercilessly critiqued, I would say. Uh, he traveled the country focusing on the Midwest, of course, because that's where he's fun from spending and fun, maybe more he's fun. fun there too. It would sound like Paris was more fun than um, spending months at a time meeting locals and finding ways to become a part of their community. During his travels, he created thousands of sketches and ink wash drawings of what he observed, all of which would be used in the future as reference work for his murals. After fighting against the aristocratic arc scene of New York for more than a decade, uh, the Benton family relocated to the Midwest in 1935, settling into Missouri for the rest of his life. This return to the Midwest occurred because Benton accepted a commission to paint a mural for the Missouri State Capitol in Jefferson City and got a study teaching job at the Kansas City Art Institute. Rita moved the family. Benton himself would have never left New York. However, the mural job would take several years to complete. And that is, um, if you've never seen it and you live in Missouri, you should. You should go to your capital, for one thing. You should sit in on a freaking legislative session and see how corrupt and awful they are. Okay, the Missouri mural in the Capitol is in the room where the members of the House of Representatives could retreat when not conducting business on the floor. Now, at the time, those were the Dust Bowl years. Missouri has broiling summers, but that 1936 summer saw thermometers hit the three-digit readings 37 days out of the season and was one of the driest on record. I mean, Like the last two weeks. Yeah, but for a month. Yeah, yes. Um it was blazing heat. Oh, so uh, it was horribly hot, said Dana Raidman Miller, chief clerk of the House, of when Benton painted the mural commissioned by the legislature. The w- yeah, no air conditioning. The windows were open, no air conditioning. The pigeons were flying in and roosting on the scaffolding. It was blazing. Oh, this is gross. It was blazing heat, and he used egg tempera, as his medium of choice. So so tempera paint is powder, and if you mix it with egg, it, it binds better than just mixing it with water. So you think about mixing all those egg yolks with the pigment in the heat. They also use gesso to prime the canvas. I can only imagine the smell between the eggs and the glue and the blazing hot. He would often work with his shirt off. There are photos of him stripped down to just his trousers. He'd have his pipe in his mouth always. Mm-hmm. Wow. Benton continued to create art focusing on rural workers and farmers. He spent some time as the head of the painting department at the Kansas City Art Institute before being forced out over some concerns regarding the focus of his work. During this time, Benton also wrote his first autobiography entitled An Artist in America. And if I'm not mistaken, and I might be, but I think that uh, argument came because he was still insisting on this re kind of regionalistic style and they wanted him as a teacher to move forward on the morning of oh okay on the morning of december so uh that was the missouri um capital okay later he had a big controversy and this is what i'm going to talk about and it goes along with what's happening today actually so if i get on a political soapbox just 
elbow me or something or join it. On the morning of December 9, 1941, Indiana University President Herman B. Wells instructed that the class be delayed for a gathering of, quote, importance and historical value. After years of planning and construction, the university was finally unveiling its auditorium, and the celebratory program attended by the governor was deemed unmissable. But the building itself was overshadowed by the newly installed murals inside the, other, inside the auditorium and two other campus buildings. Though hailed as a masterpiece, the artwork set off a 75-year controversy. Um, today, conversation around what the Indiana University students colloquially refer to as the Benton murals concerns a single scene in the ninth panel on view in the Woodburn Hall, room 100. The dramatic in- image shows one of the most influential organizations in Indiana's history, the Ku Klux Klan, burning a cross. Critics argue that the panel should be moved, given that students who use the lecture hall for class shouldn't be forced to see symbols of hate and racism. In response, proponents say that the KKK is an undeniable part of Indiana's history and, when seen in context, the panel celebrates the group's downfall. But with the resurging visibility of white supremacist movements in the wake of Trump's presidency, I didn't write this, this is what it says, the murals bring into question just how far we are from what it shows. While historical relevance is one argument for keeping the panel in Woodburn Hall, what happens when the past feels all too present? Or what happens when critical race theory, you erase the bad parts of our history then we're totally doomed to repeat that. I mean, you can't just gloss over the bad stuff. And I think because he was so, he was painting what was happening. I mean, visually, rather Mm -hmm. than writing about it like an author, he was painting about it. So um, he went on to paint, uh, I mean, regularly. That he, he said that he was never going to retire. He talks about that in this book a little bit, which I think I've, I'm done with. Um, So he continued painting until his death in 1974. The Kansas City home and studio of the Bentons is preserved as a historic site by the state of Missouri, nearly untouched, and is open for tours. I've got a link to that on, uh, on our website. Thomas Hart Benton worked until his last moment, returning to his canvas after dinner to sign his last mural the sources of country music. He collapsed in his studio. And that last mural was um, commissioned by the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville. Cool. So that is Thomas Hart Benton, who really, I guess I have a strong connection to him because he's try- he tried through his art t- to reflect the accuracy of what it's like to live in the rural southern midwest and that's what i try to do with my solo shows too and not all of that is pretty i mean you gotta you gotta know about the bad stuff because that informs for example i thought elvis was howling you hear that (laughs) okay that informs all this stupid white supremacist bullshit today that's going on under our very noses the amount of confederate flags in this area is amazing. Yes. And I think some of it is just learned behavior. Behavior. And they don't 
they don't realize what it represents. Or really... they don't care about other people. It's our heritage. No, it isn't. And um, what about the people that it makes? Yeah, they don't care. They don't, they don't care, care about that. Um, I mean, I was a Dukes of Hazard fan. Like, I loved mm -hmm. that show, but we weren't taught what that flag meant. Right. Then. Right. I actually, I didn't tell you this, but I went to Swan Creek. So it's been hot and dry. Well, we've had these really horrific storms this week. So I went to Swan Creek to sit in the creek because it was hot yesterday. And there were two hillbillies down there flying a big old Confederate flag. And they were nice people. They had been floating the river and they were nice. And, you know, we chatted about their float and everything, but... Just the thought of them flying that made me go, and I never want to see you again no. because you're stupid. So, anyway. So, that's Thomas Hart Benton. I, it's, yeah. yeah. That's it. I know. Not scary. And he's a ghost and visits me in my <laughs> dreams. I don't know. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. But. Well, yeah. uh, we were looking up, speaking of ghosts, and we'll, we'll have ghosty ones. Yeah, um, we will. So I was at work yesterday. I didn't tell Don this, so I'll tell everybody right now. And um, <laughs> I was talking to Janet, who is my, my manager in the sweet shop. And then Bridget came over, who is the ticket office and other things manager. And they had been talking. They found the death certificate of Elizabeth McDaniel's butler. In the PR house. They have his <gasps> death certificate. His name was Albert Logan. Um, and he died in the house. Oh. Of a stroke. And so his room was where Bridget's office is. And so she was like, move your shit over. I'm coming in. <laughs> she was telling <laughs> Janet that she was not staying in her office anymore. Oh. And I was like, um, well, maybe we should look up and see how... Lizzie McDaniels died because Janet's office is in Lizzie McDaniels' bedroom. Okay, wait. So this guy is how? Who is he? To he's he's was her butler. Butler. Okay, you may have so, said that. And I, I did. Missed it. Um. So um, we looked up to see how, and according to her obituary, she also died in that house. Yeah, in, in her room. Well, I mean, in her room. Where else? She had most pneumonia. people do. Yeah, so, we, the most people. So do. I was like, Bridget, you're just gonna trade the butler ghost for the Lizzie McDaniel ghost, <laughs> and maybe the butler ghost could help you do some things. Yeah. I mean, come on, maybe he'll organize your stuff, <laughs> <laughs> bring you ghost tea or something. Uh, uh, anyway, so that was always, always some fun times there at the Shepherd of the Hills. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so, as you know, it is so full of mystery, I think, down there at the yeah. Shepherd of the Hills. There yeah. may be some murders after this week, and perhaps <laughs> if you want to go see some fresh ghosts, I probably shouldn't be broadcasting this in case somebody drops dead, then they, they come and look for us. Look for us. I don't know what she's talking yeah. about. I'm telling you. I mean. I can neither confirm or deny. <laughs> I'm going to murder somebody. All that somebody has to do is say one more thing to me, and then it might happen. All right. Anyway, um, oh. I think we're done. Yeah. Um, I thank you everybody for listening to us. Um, remember to leave us the stars. Go on Patreon. Uh, we're all on Facebook and Instagram. And I think that's it. So uh, goodbye. Goodbye. And remember, if you liked it, tell all your friends. But if you didn't, keep your big mouth shut. shut.